Passage Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. What's up, A.A. Ron? We back here in Bass Edge Studios getting it on for episode 250, dude. I think maybe this is a little milestone. I think it actually is a milestone, you know. I'd like to say that we have essentially elevated our game, but Kurt, you know, I've got to hang around you and you're stuck with me, so there is a limit and a, and a lid to our potential, I guess. Come on, come on. I'll tell you someone that's stuck around us for ever 250 episodes i think our title sponsor for bass edge radio couldn't do it without megaware keel guard the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector protecting your boat from harmful rocks and road debris get yourself a keel guard at keelguard.com and don't forget about those other awesome products they have their internet sites loaded with stuff you need for your boat so be sure and check them out keelguard.com Speaking of longevity, I, I've got some news to share with not only you, Kurt, but also Bass Edge Nation and somebody that's been around a long time, Dr. Jay McNamara. I'm going to have the opportunity here. He's he's going to be coming through Missouri. He's going to stop off and fish with me and practice for an upcoming tournament that I have on his way to actually Florida to go fish a tournament down there. So I am looking forward to that. For those that don't know, he actually on the television show, he did a uh, segment on the mental aspects of fishing and then that's also funny. the author of the Psychology of Exceptional Fishing book that we have there on BassEdge.com that seems to be flying off the show. Dude, that book is really good. You know, so often here on the show, we talk about, and, and not just us, our anglers, the, the pro anglers in our in our spotlight, they constantly are talking about confidence and, um, you know, mindset and, and all these important psychological aspects that go into being successful in the sport of bass fishing. So, um, you know, if you haven't got the book from Jay or from us at BassEdge.com, you can log right in, order the book. We've got copies flying out all the time. So make sure you check that out. But Aaron, where, where, where does it go, man? I mean, you've spent a lot of time with Jay. I've been able to talk to Jay here and there, and we've had him on the show several times. But why is that such an important aspect of this game? It's really hard to quantify, Kurt. All I can tell you is my personal experience. How I even came about meeting Jay was he wrote an article. I think it was every month back then. I mean, this is dating back now. You got to remember, this is 10 years ago, okay? So for FLW Outdoors on their website, and I started reading, I started becoming a big follower of him. And the problem that I had was, you know, in practice or fun fishing, I could go catch him all day long. But then come a tournament time, it was like, dude, I was constantly taking the walk of shame with nothing but air in my bag if I even got a weigh-in bag. And so I reached out to him back then and I said, hey, here's the deal. And that's what he specialized in. He works with a lot of the executives on the business side, but also sports psychology, trying to bring that mental aspect. And a lot of times what we have found, Skeet reset it best on one of the episodes way back when, it's oftentimes the mental warfare that goes on between our ears and you have to learn to be able to control the things that you can. So his book is not your favorite. I know your favorite's Fifty Shades of Grey, and I know Jay's is your second favorite, Kurt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's not a novel. It's a very instructional, very laid out plan that he works through lessons each day. And all I can tell you is that's really that next year after working with him for 12 months, that's when I actually started being able to go through the way in line and consistently producing limits. Well, you know, it's always interesting to hear about everything that Jay brings to the table. I think definitely we're going to have to have him on 
another segment here in the next month or two because it is such a huge aspect of this game, always touched on here at Bass Edge Radio. I tell you what, we got to take a short break. We're going to be right back with more from Bass Edge Radio. This is our protecttheharvest.com pro tip with Scott Suggs. I've got three tips about power poles. The three main uses that I really like about this product. Number one is any boat owner needs a set of power poles. Because let me tell you, we all go fishing by ourselves. And whenever you do, it's the best thing ever for loading and unloading your boat by yourself. What a great way to, you know, protect your boat. I hardly ever, ever use rope anymore. Power poles really protects that boat. I love power pole for the number two, spawning fish, being able to lock down on them, hold that boat in place, keep my eye on that fish, and be able to concentrate till I, till I boat that bass. Then the third thing, getting out on big windy flats and everything. When that water's in like 10 foot of water and less, because I like the tens. When it's 10 foot or less, I'm catching fish all over a flat, don't want to blow through where I'm fishing, power pole down, sit there, fish the spots thorough, always be more productive. That's a great tip. Thanks, Scott. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats is now the official boat of Bass Edge Radio. Be sure to check out the Nitro Z-Series Performance Fishing Boats. The 2017 lineup features five boats ranging from 17.4 up to 21 foot 2 inches. Two new models for 2017 include the Nitro Z-17, our entry-level bass boat at 17 foot 4 inches and rated for 115 horsepower. The flagship of the Nitro lineup, the Nitro Z-21 at 21.2 in length. Its performance and fishability is unmatched. Designed with input from top elite pros like KVD, Edwin Evers, Rick Klun, and Ott Defoe. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats. Champions aren't born, they're made. Aaron, here we are, you know, continuing the discussion about this, you know, weather fluctuation that we've been having. We talked a bit, a little bit about it last episode and, and kind of this winter, spring, where, where are we at? All winter, you know, it's winter, spring where we're at, except for, you know, that farther northern aspect uh, of the country, which, you know, sorry for you guys, but you always get winter. <laughs> so that's right. But let's talk a little bit more about trying to push these fish into patterns they aren't quite into yet. That's a great point because in talking with biologists, what they always tell me is that, you know what, fish act on the lunar calendar, which as you know, Kurt, that kind of happens, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of uh, somebody telling the fish what the temperature is or when they're supposed to do what. And I think Scott brought up a good point as far as within the parameters, right? I think when we see those warming trends come out, we think that they're going to move there quicker. When we see or feel or experience that maybe there's a cooling trend, well, then we think it's going to be later. I'm not sure that that's correct. You know, I do think 
Scott brings up some very, very good points that there are these road ditches that they function within, independent of what's going on in the atmosphere. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Aaron. I think what really affects us and affects our productivity out on the water is pushing these things too fast. You know, just because the water temperature says X and we're in, you know, middle of February, it doesn't mean that Y is necessarily happening right now. I think we need to go up there and look in the shallows and kind of inspect those things because they might be a little bit further along than they would typically. But I think for the most part, it's it's kind of like the deer rut. You know, you go back to the fall and it doesn't really matter how many cold fronts have hit or how warm the fall has been. It really happens on that lunar activity and time of daylight. I think that plays a much bigger role than any of us really have a grasp on because you see that down here at Lake Amistad in the fall. You know, the water temps are still high, but the shads start to move just because because the daylight hours are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Conversely, in the spring, it's going to turn around just the opposite. Those daylight hours, although they're getting longer, sometimes they're not long enough yet for those fish to really make that move. You hit the nail on the head. Again, the term that I love, don't know exactly what it means, but a photo period, right? It's the length, the amount of sunlight exposure, which causes the warm-up of the water because the sun's out longer. But the other piece of that, Kurt, is nature has a way of survival. The reason why it wants to do the spawn around the full moon and the rut that you speak of and that is because of the nocturnal so that they can defend the nest from predators and use that moonlight even at night and certainly during the day to be able to defend their nest so that it ensures survival of the species. So not to get too technical, but I think you're exactly right. Well, the real big picture here on on this conversation, I believe, is don't push it too far. Don't get too excited because it has been, you know, pretty warm and, and things are moving up. Stay patient. Stay relaxed. You still probably going to have to slow down just like we normally would early in the spring season when fish start to move up. But, you know, so don't get totally wigged out and think, oh, my God, I need to throw top water in late February. They just aren't ready yet, guys and, and girls. And, and uh, that time is going to come. But be patient. Wait for it. Get out there. Work those strategies to the best of your ability. You're going to put some fish on the boat. Talking about putting fish on the boat, we've got a West Coast angler in the house in our next Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Hi, this is George Cochran. I'm Dave Wolak. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Clark Wendland. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. Hi, this is Jim Tut, and you're listening to The Edge. As always here at Bass Edge, we are trying to raise the bar, and we have another awesome angler guest for our listeners today. We're going to go West Coast style with one of NorCal's best and brightest in the industry. He's a guide on the California Delta and an avid competitive participant in all things on the West Side. We bring you Bass Angler Magazine founder, Mark Lesane. Great to have you here, Mark. Hey, I appreciate you having me on the show. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think I listen to every one of your guys' podcasts. You guys do a, just a great job, and I'm 
happy to be here. Well, Mark, we're glad to have you back on. Obviously, been a huge partner for helping raise the bar out there in the bass fishing education world. And, you know, I would be kind of remiss if I didn't congratulate you on your participation last fall in the BASS Federation National Championship. That qualifying run from the West Coast and that experience for you down at Conroe. How did that go? It was amazing. I have to tell you, you know, the Federation is one of those, uh, you know, small grassroots, not actually small, but, you know, kind of like a grassroots circuit that gives guys, you know, like us from the West Coast, uh, maybe a shot at making the classic, which is huge. You know, for me, I got there by winning two tournaments. I won one out in the Delta by Donasenko and Punchin. And then I went to Lake Mead and I won the state qualifier there, won it by about five pounds. So I was really I'm really excited to make it. And, uh, you know, from there we went to Conroe. And I'll tell you, it was uh, so back up to to Lake Mead. It was one of those tournaments that, you know, practice was tough. um, But I found a few fish moving up. And then those fish moved up the whole entire time of the tournament. And I I caught them pretty good, obviously, because I won. Um, And then I went to Conroe and, you know, kind of reversed things. I caught them really good in practice. I found them good. I mean, I was catching big ones. A front rolls in, uh, you know, the first day of the tournament. And, you know, just being stubborn and hard-headed, I kept fishing fast and kind of trying to thinking I could grind them out. And, uh, you know, and it just just basically never happened. I think I caught two or three, four fish in the whole tournament. finished like about in the middle actually with a couple of fish if you can imagine that fishing got really tough but the experience was it was awesome bass really put on a great show for the federation guys so i have to say if guys aren't out there fishing it you know you gotta give it a shot try it you bet man well nonetheless no matter how the the championship went you know we were following you along there man it's a huge accomplishment just to get out there and win that state championship everybody knows what kind of caliber anglers there are out west uh you can catch it on the elite series you can catch it on the flw tour when the west guys come east they generally knock it pretty strong out of the park so uh that's a fantastic accomplishment but you know it always seems like you got something going on whether it's tournament fishing or with the magazine you know it happens with all of us that are trying to make a living in this industry what all do you have your time allocated to now what what things are you into mark you know wouldn't it be nice in a perfect world i'd wake up you know i'd wake up five o'clock in the morning get my stuff ready to throw out the boat and go fishing but you know unfortunately it's not always like that you know some days like that i probably do you know 150 days a year of, of doing that and then the rest of my time is allotted you know i'm working on bass angler magazine you know just trying to build a good book uh getting it out there to the guys and then I guide here and there and then you know between that I have sponsors and I do some sponsor activity so you know though we love to go fishing you know you have to make a living and it's really hard to do it only in the tournament world and you know every day you go fishing you spend money you're not making money so you need to recoup it somewhere and you know build that up so you can do that fishing and I think it's like that for you know, for the majority of us guys, you know, trying to make it in this industry. So, you know, it's been great. I I mean, I I love it. I I wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, it's really a great time. I want to touch on the Bass Angler Magazine because, Mark, I think the longevity of our sport depends upon information and being able to get people emotionally involved so that they have a good experience on the water. Whether that's, you know, competitively through a formal uh, competition or tournament or just going out and spending time with maybe a spouse, a friend, a dad, or, or, or what have you. And I think that is where you have helped raise the bar because, I, as you know, you know, we share the same mission. And, and that's why I think Bass Edge and Bass Angler Magazine has always gotten along so well because anybody that has opened your magazine, it is chocked full. I'm not sure how you do it and have enough time, but it is absolutely chocked full of useful information 
regardless of where you're at in the country. Well, thanks. I, you know, I appreciate that. You guys do an awesome job. You know, I, I mean, kind of our goal, you know, every every magazine has their own goal. You know, FLW and Bass, you know, they're out there to highlight their anglers and provide tournament information. And then they give you a little bit of how-to. We we really focus on the how-to part of it. And, you know, we working with the professional anglers. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if there's something wrong with your car, you're probably not going to go ask your neighbor. You're going to ask the mechanic down the street. So that's kind of our philosophy. You know, we're going to ask KVD or Swindell or Alton Jones or, you know, Scott Martin or one of those kind of guys a pertinent question, something about bass fishing and get, you know, we want to get the goods, you know, like, like you do. Uh, I see, you know, I listen to so many of your shows and you're getting down to the nitty gritty and, and I'm like, wow, that was cool. You know, and that's and that's the same thing that we want to bring to our readers. You know, we want them to open the book and go, I didn't know that. Wow, that was cool. You know, things you can't find on the Internet or you don't see in YouTube. You know, I mean, there's a lot out there. There's a lot you can really learn. But we try to give you that little extra thing in Bass Angler that you can't find anywhere else. Well, you're definitely bringing it. And I got to say, I was looking through uh, your website the other day and man, you've got a lot of great videos out there, giving a lot of awesome tips. And and just so that all the East Coast anglers out there, we talked a little bit about innovation in, in some of the other shows recently. And there's so many innovative things that come out of the West Coast. Their lakes are similar yet different. And um, there's so many items that come from the West Coast that can really help East Coasters do something a little bit different rather than the run of the mill power fishing and and they have some little quirks and, and Bass Angler Magazine and Mark, you do a great job of bringing that out. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, lakes that are out there. You know, you guys had a big drought going on for several years. Now this winter, you've had some major rains come in. A lot of the lakes have come up. Tell us a little bit how those conditions have affected the waterways and how you feel the fish are affected by those fluctuation in water levels. Actually, it's been crazy and it's raining outside right now. Now, storm wasn't supposed to come in until one, but it, it came in early. It's supposed to be another big, giant storm coming through. You know, we had, I don't know, 10 or 15 inches of rain here the last few weeks. And these lakes have come up, you know, some of them 50, 80 feet. Um, you know, Clear Lake's full, Berryessa, all our lakes are, almost, all the Northern Cal lakes are full. Central Cal's kind of still in a drought, but they're coming up. It's getting better. You know, and we're, so we were talking about that yesterday. There's one lake out here, uh, Lake Comanche, and I was talking to a friend of mine who went fishing there last weekend. He says, hey, you know, I caught this big old bass, and it had a gopher in its mouth. I was like, wow, that's cool. I go, well, water's <laughs> The water is coming up so fast, he caught another one, had a snake, right? And then another one had a crawfish. And he goes, oh, I didn't know the crawfish would move up that fast. Well, you know, talking to the crawfish guys in the Delta, why not does crawfish actually migrate a pretty long distance? You know, exactly how far, I don't know, but I know it's miles. So it won't take long if the water's coming up, say, 30 feet in, you know, in three or four days, those crawfish will move right up with it. So we're talking, and I said, hey, did you throw a big jig with a big trailer, you know, trying something to imitate, like, uh, you know, maybe a, a gopher or something that looks like that? He goes, yeah. He goes, and I really caught him. I caught, like, 28 pounds that day. And this was last week at Comanche, which is, well, the lake's been pretty good here lately. I'm sensing I'm sensing a new, a new signature series, Mark Lesane bait, the gopher bait. 
the gopher. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can talk to Savage or River to see to make one of those. You know, they're making a duck, so, uh, you know, why not a gopher? Yeah, man, that would be totally awesome. You know, once again, there, there's that innovation that comes from the west side. You know, that's not something you hear on the east coast. That is definitely a west coast thing, especially when somebody talks about, ah, yeah, I just jacked 28 pounds. That's a west coast thing, too. <laughs> but uh, the yeah, cool I thing. Mean, I mean, and, and that's in the middle of January. Crazy. Exactly. Let's talk real quick about the Delta. You know, there were some concerns there, you know, about flow because of the drought conditions. What are the conditions out there? There's more water running through it. Is the salt uh, wedge kind of being pushed back? What's going on out there on the Delta right now? Yeah, the salt wedge is getting pushed back actually, at a rapid rate at the moment. You know, we talked about Comanche, like Folsom, there's American River, Sacramento River, San Joaquin River, all flow into the Delta and they're all flowing really hard at the moment. It's basically mud and, you know, unless you're going to the back of a marina somewhere, it's mud and it's really hard to catch fish, right, you know, at the moment. But, you know, with that said, it is pushing fresh water in. But, you know, I mean, they're trying to work on these tunnels and they're trying to do all these things and ship a bunch of water down to Southern California, which, you know, once they if they start moving too much water, um, you know, it moves that salt intrusion back and it kind of changes the way, changes the whole aspect of fishing, you know, in the Delta. There's legislation out there to help slow the flows, you know, which would be good. And we're hoping the tunnels don't come in and turn it into a big swamp. Well, the Delta is a, a that, changing dynamic in and of itself, let alone then when you start having man mess with it. I mean, is that a fair statement? It is. I, I, you know, you have to say that, you know, in a year like this where it's flooding, the water's going over the levees and, you know, you have a lot of sand and silt move in. Some of your spots won't be any good anymore and then there'll be new spots. So you get to kind of learn some new stuff. You get a a lot of lot of mud and things move, you know, because a lot of the delta is silt and, and mud. It'll move, you know, from one place to another, and it'll really change things. So, yes, it is a changing dynamic, you know, every year. I imagine when I start going out here again, you know, in another few weeks, I'm going to see a lot of different things. Great info for folks out west. And uh, tell you what, guys, we're going to take a really quick break. We're going to come back with some more bass fishing technical information with pro angler Mark Lassane, Bass Edge Radio, return in a moment. If it's hard to stop or you hear squealing and grinding noises during braking, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll find the brake parts you need from trusted brands like BrakeBest, BrakeBest Select, and Wagner ThermoQuiet at everyday low prices. Play it safe with brake parts from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge Radio presented by MegaWare Keelguard returns with professional angler Mark Lassane in the Lucas Oil Industry Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Well, Mark, you know, being the educator that you are, you do a lot of seminars. One of them is on probably the most popular lure for anglers, and that is the Senko. Break down for us some of your secrets for Senko fishing to Bass Edge listeners. It's funny that you say that, you know, what an awesome lure this is, and you'd think it came out like last week, and it's taken the world by storm, but you know, Senko's 22 years old. If you were born the same year as Senko, you could drink in any state. Well, you know, <laughs> That's great. I mean, if you think about it, is there another bait out there that has dominated the market like a Senko? There, there isn't. You know, I mean, it's been 
so many people have tried to imitate it. You know, and I was talking to Yamamoto the other day, and they said, yeah, so many people have tried to knock it off. He said, but they don't have our secret formula. And they, you know, they have a mix of different things they put in the Senko that makes it fall and have that seductive fall. If you've watched one, you know, I, I love throwing it wacky rig. So if you just watch it fall while you throw it Texas or wacky weightless, and it kind of has that little shudder as it goes down. I mean, that really triggers a fish. So when I won that tournament at Lake Mead, half of the fish I caught were fish that were moving up and they were sight fish. So the, the spawners, sight fish, I wasn't catching those looking at them. Okay, I was flying cash with those. But the ones that were moving up were ones I could see. I could go down the bank and Lake Mead is gin clear. If you've ever been there, you can see like 30 feet down. So you can see these fish. And I would toss a wacky rig senko. You'd see the fish. You'd toss it up ahead of them. And then you just let it fall. And you'd see it just shimmy. And the fish w- would look at it, right? They would know it's there. But they wouldn't do anything until it hit about six or seven feet deep. And then they would charge over and eat it. It was the craziest thing. And just to watch it go, you know, it, it was so funny how these fish would react to this bait that was different and you throw different things down there you drop shot or you know texas rig or throw a jig or shaky head and they wouldn't really even mess with it but you throw the seiko and then they would get, get down there and they would just eat it so mark when you talk about the same i'm a huge fan of the seiko myself but you're specifically talking about wacky rig explain specifically when you're going down the bank obviously meat is a little different because you like you said it is gin clear and you can see them which is a whole nother education level in and of itself but let's say if you're fishing in a lake that has some color that you don't have that visibility in is a person to cast it like directly up where the water meets the shoreline and then how are you working that back or or give us some of your best ways to do that so we'll take an example i was fishing i fished a tournament two weeks ago where um i caught almost every quality fish was on the senko actually the tournament was one fish in a wacky rig senko you know and it's different it depends on time of year and water temperature you know the, the warmer it is the shallower the fish um a lot of times i'll throw that senko up right on the bank or right close to the bank and then I'll, I'll let it fall to the bottom and then I'll kind of I'll jerk it up about a foot or so and then let it fall. So the key to catching a fish on a Senko is to make sure your hand is not on the real handle. So I, I guide a lot of people and they, you know, while we're out guiding, I, I tell them if your hand is turning the handle, you're not going to catch a fish. So you need it. So it needs to be, it needs to be falling, you know, so, so you'll pull it up with the rod, you'll reel up the slack and then you let it fall down on a slack line and then you'll pick it up again. Hopefully you'll pick it up. It's heavy and swimming, you know, and then you'll give it a little quick hook set to catch that fish. So I tell you the rig that I use most of the time I'm on the lakes. I'm using the five inch Senko, just like back East green pumpkin is usually the best color. Um, you know, if you don't know what to start with, you start with green pumpkin. Uh, if they're not biting that, then you can kind of you know deviate one way or another. I like fishing it with an O-ring because it's it, O-ring will have the bait slide up the line and usually makes the bait last a little longer. And then, you know, depending on the water temperature, I'll weight it. And then depending on which way you want to fall is where I'll put the weight. So if I want it to fall, say tail first, I'll put the weight in the very end of the worm so that it'll fall tail first and it'll sit down on the bottom with standing upright and then you can kind of shake it and then it'll give it a different fall. If I want it to fall and have a, a little shutter, you know, like it would weightless, I'll put the weight in the middle where it'll fall just about like it will weightless, but it'll fall a little bit faster and you can get it down deeper. And how big a weight so are we talking there? We're talking a, about an eighth ounce, you know, from three sixteenths to an eight, depending on how fast you want it to fall. Eighth ounce is usually the weight that I'll use. I use a little tungsten 
a uh, little tungsten nail weight in it. So a couple of weeks ago, I was fishing. I was fishing a Senko, a wacky Senko at about 30 feet deep with an eighth ounce weight in it. The guy that won the tournament was fishing the same setup at 60 feet deep. So obviously he found the better quality fish. You know, I was fishing fish that were moving up and the fish didn't move up that day. And so he caught them. Um, but anyway, we were catching them at 30 feet. And, and, you know, it takes a little while. Eight ounce weight in a Senko, it takes a long time for it to get down to 30 feet. So we'd throw it up at about 20 and you'd work it out. It would take several minutes to get down there. But the quality of the fish that you caught on it were amazing. Tell you one trick with the Senko that I'm gonna I'm gonna give up. I'm doing a seminar and in, in over the next couple of days, and what we'll do is I'll take a, you know like an underspin. You know, you take a small underspin that has a little swivel and a blade on it. Well, I'll take that swivel and blade off of the underspin. I'll get a little swim bait screw. Um, you know, a little screw in like you'd use on an Alabama rig for a swim bait, and then I'll put that little swivel and that blade on the end of a Senko. I'll screw it into the end of the Senko. Fish that wacky style so you pull it and while it's falling that blade is also flashing kind of gives it a little different look uh works good when the water starts to warm up right now it's pretty cold but once the water starts you know in the mid 50s that that's uh, a little trick that'll have to catch a few more fish mark real quick a question on hook location obviously when you're fishing wacky is there a specific place and then when you add the weight to one side or the other like you discussed is it the same hook location or does that change generally i have the hook in the upper third and the upper part is the pointy end and then i put the weight in the flat end in the bottom so when I'm putting the weight on the bottom, I put it in a flat end. If I'm fishing it where I want it to fall uh, fairly even, I'll put the O-ring and the hook in the center and let it fall that way. And then I'll put the weight in also in the center right underneath the O-ring. Gotcha. So are you using those like uh, black O-rings or do you have something specific that you like to use? So And then that's basically not to destroy as many baits. Is that correct? That's correct. So, yes, I just use a regular old black O-ring. I use a, you know, I have a little installer. I put it on there and I use a little black O-ring. Well, let's change gears here and, and head over then to your other specialty, which is is the title situation we've briefly spoke about concerning the Delta. But what can you kind of relay to, to us as the most important factors really to understand title fishing? You know, tides add a, add a whole other crook to bass fishing, you know, and you can make it as simple or as complex as you like. You know, on the complex side of it, you can go, okay, well, they're biting one hour after the low tide, um, you know, outside the weed line. And, uh, you know, when the current is going around this way and it's flowing and it's doing this or doing that, or you can go, well, when the water's this high, I'm catching them like that. Or when it's that high, I'm catching them like that. So, you, you know, if you fish an average lake, you know, you have like a morning, an afternoon, an evening bite. Well, in the delta, or tidal water, you have a high tide, mid tide, low tide, you know, incoming or outgoing bite. So I love to chase the tides to figure out the bite and then follow that bite inland as the tide changes. So for instance, I may, I'll stay in one area. We have an area called Frank's Track in the Delta, which is kind of central Delta. So I can fish around that area, say, you know, two, three, four hours through one period of the tide, whether it's incoming or outgoing, and find a time when those fish are biting. You know, I may try different things. You know, if, uh, you know, I just want to see if I can catch a fish, I maybe throw on a Senko or possibly a drop shot or, a, you know, a smaller crankbait, something that I'm going to get bit on. And then you'll keep that up until that bite. There's, there's going to be a time when the bite gets better, and it'll get better, better, better. 
And then when it gets better, then it'll start tapering off. Well, at the point when it starts to taper off, that's when you want to move inland, go inland three, four, five miles to another area that's similar to where you caught them that time. So that'll give you the timing of when they're biting, right, for that tide. Say it's a, you know, a mid-incoming tide. So you get up to the mid-incoming tide, and it gets up to the top, and the fish start biting really good. And so you go, okay, well, they're biting at the top of the incoming tide. Okay, so now where you're at, that tide is going to change. It's going to continually change as time goes on. So you go to the next spot, you know, you move inland, and you'll catch that top of the incoming. And then you catch, move further, and you move further, and you can generally follow this for, you know, one to four hours, depending on where you're at in the delta. Makes sense. Now, so, Mark, how much does technique change when tidal changes happen? In the scenario you give, you're kind of chasing the same tide that you've had success on in another location. If I'm a beginner and I'm like wigged out about this whole tidal thing and, you know, I can hit a spot and fish it for an hour and not catch a thing and then start running the tides and I'm, I end up not catching a thing all day. Because I'm running the wrong tide, right? So if if I just sit in one area to really understand, let's take your example, Frank's Tract, or let's say, you know, maybe the Frank's Tract equipment on the East Coast is Mattawoman Creek, right? So so Mm -hmm. we take some of those similarities and then we just fish one section throughout the day to kind of understand or hopefully get some understanding of how the tide affects the fishing. Does the technique change much is my question on, you know, whether it's a high tide or low tide. It does. So the first part of your question was fishing and not catching them throughout the day. One thing you don't want to do is if you're not catching them in one area, you don't want to move inland and follow that bad tide all the way inland. Obviously, there is places where they may bite at any tide, but you know there's a like a peak activity period where if you follow the low peak, you may just spend all day not catching anything. When the guy that stayed and say in Frank's track goes, oh man, at two o'clock I smoked them. You know, where were you at? Well, I was down south and where they weren't biting. So techniques changing. Okay, so say you have a riprap wall. So most of the Delta, the Delta has thousand miles of riprap walls, right? With weeds on them. At low tide, it can be a big weedy mess where it's really hard to get into them where you have to throw, you know, maybe a, a weightless Senko up on the bank or you're punching in the weeds at low tide. But at high tide, you can throw a crankbait right up on the bank. So you kind of fish the conditions for what it is, you know, say like just that example, you know, riprap bank. Um, a lot of times these fish, when the tide's moving up, you know, the fish will move up also with it, just like the lakes when they're up there eating gophers. These fish will move up into these rocks right on the bank. So you can go up on the bank and you can fish crankbaits or chatterbaits or different things right on the bank. But then when the tide recedes, um, then that's when you want to fish edges and ledges, you know, weed lines and drop-offs and things like that. That makes total sense. Now, my next question in relation to that is speed of techniques. I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, high tide and some reaction lures and low tide and reaction lures. Do you feel like there's a specific period in the tide, whether it be high, low, mid, that the fish are more active than another time? Or does that really kind of depend then on time of day and weather conditions? Or how do you break down that? It's like the lakes. It's, uh, you know, when it's cold like right now you need to fish slow for the most part we're fishing really slow 
So, you know, it's like a lake. So it's indicative of the current conditions, whether it's weather or water temperature. You know, once the, once the water warms up, like, you know, my favorite time to fish the Delta is May to about October. And fishing is generally really good where you can throw fast-moving baits and pretty much catch them almost any day at some place or another. But you let the conditions dictate how you fish. You know, if you're fishing fast-moving baits and you're not catching them, then you should slow down and maybe throw a Senko or a worm or, you know, pitch a creature bait. Makes sense. My last question about tidal fishing has to do with depth orientation. You know, obviously with lakes, you know, late winter, you know, fish are, are deeper. They're holding around poles, deep holes, deep points, um, channel bends, that type of thing. With tidal fishing, it's a little bit different because it's just a shallower body of water in general. So a guy that's running around trying to find those tidal water fish in this time of year where you've kind of got that late winter, some fish moving into those spring sections, are you looking deep at all in tidal water or is it pretty much shallow water dominated? For me, it's shallow water. The only time I ever fish deep is in marinas. Deep in the marinas can be, you know, five to maybe 20 feet deep. Deep in the regular delta for me is probably six feet. Six feet in the delta is like 30 or 40 feet on a lake in my aspect. You know, the delta has a lot of silt. So the center part of the delta is a lot of it is silted up. And if you know about bass fishing, you know, they like a hard bottom. So most of the silted areas they're not going to be in. They're going to, you know, once you get outside, you know, that initial weed line, it's going to be silt on the bottom. And so those fish are usually not going to be there. And that's where it gets to be deep. Great uh, lessons there on tidal water fishing. We appreciate you bringing the juice on that, Mark. It is time for O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day, listener question segment. Today's question is pretty interesting. It comes from Sherry DeMuth. And uh, first off, Sherry sent us a great email. She wanted to be sure and encourage all anglers out there who have thought about entering a tournament but are hesitant to just do it. Yes, you're going to backlash, she says, but so do the pros in the front with the expensive boats, and, and I can vouch for that for sure. But in most cases, the pros want you to do well too, and you'll learn a lot to become a better fisherwoman or fisherman. So Sherry wanted to be sure to let everybody know that. The question that she has is really interesting. She's been fishing in local tournaments as well as the late Bass Angler Association events as a co-angler. She's learned that after a pro draws their co, they ask a pro friend who fished with the co, can she net? While she tries to adapt to what the pro wants, she's curious as to what you would say, Mark, on what you want to hear and what they want and need from her to get fish into the boat. Wow, okay. Well, let me, let me say all pros are not the same. I mean, yes, we want a good netter. We want somebody that can net the fish, but it's not all about just netting the fish. I, I think it's also about the pro wanting the code to catch some fish also. So about netting, you know, I usually have a, a little conversation with my co when we get the boat. I say, you know, can you net? Well, here's what I like. I said, put the net close to the water, close to the boat. I'll bring the fish in and you scoop it. Don't stab at the fish. Just scoop it up. I'll tell you when to scoop. And sometimes I've had coves where the fish has jumped and thrown the lure and they've caught it in the net. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. So to have somebody like that is is really cool. You know, and if they can net, great. So you give them a little lesson in the beginning, which is going to kind of clears everything up. Also, I would say that she should ask the pro, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? I would say the best coves have respect for their boaters. You know, they're not casting over them. They're not trying to be super competitive with the pro. You know, and when I have a code that is like this, I'm going to tell you, I work extra hard. 
so they get a limit, so they can catch them. But if I get a guy, you know, it's happened both ways, you know, that's casting over you, that's trying to catch every fish out in front of you, that, you know, thinks he's going to be the, you know, the next KVD and, you know, he's going to whoop up on you. You know, I'm not so eager to have that guy catch any fish. <laughs> so that's what I would say. You know, I mean, have a little talk. The coach should have a little talk with a pro and say, hey, you know, I'm going to respect you. And if you help me catch some fish, I would really appreciate it. I'm here to learn, you know, show me how to net. That's kind of what I would say. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Mark, because just like fishing and learning how to find the fish and catch the fish, you know, netting is a big part of that. And, and I think what you're saying there is communication. Have the discussion in advance and really go through. And if you're unsure, don't leave any stone unturned so that that way it doesn't create, when you're in the heat of the moment, in the battle with the fish, it's not going to create problems for either party. So I, I think that's great advice. Sherry, thank you so much for the comment. And also, you know, Mark, thanks for asking her great question. question. It was. That was a great question. Sherry, I do need you to either send us an email at supportedbassedge.com and make sure you include your mailing address so that we can actually know where to send out that gift card. Or you can simply log on to bassedge.com and click that claim your prize tab and let us know you heard your question answered on the show. We will send out the O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And as always, keep firing (laughs) in those questions to our Facebook page or Twitter handle at Bass Edge or email support at Bass Edge. We will get those questions on the show as soon as possible. Well, Mark, certainly enjoyed having you on the show. And just like your magazine, your episode was absolutely chalked full of useful information that is certainly going to help us put more fish in the boat. I appreciate you hanging out today. Any final words uh, or closing thoughts here? No, you know what? I, I really just appreciate you having me on the show. You guys do a great job. You know, like I said, I can't get enough of Bass Edge. If you guys did one every day, I'd probably spend all day on the computer listening to to them and not fishing as much. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we want to keep you out there on the water, so we're just going to stay at twice a month for you, Mark. Okay. But, uh, we, again, <laughs> we, you bet, man. We appreciate you being here. We're going to send you out with our segment, four last questions for you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm going on vacation. Where do you recommend? If you're a fisherman, February, Clear Lake, big swim baits can be just phenomenal time. If it's May, come out and hit the California Delta. It gets crazy that time year a lot of good fish what is the last picture you took with your phone got a uh, three pound spotted bass at lake barrios on a wacky senko you just won the next national tournament who do you say thanks to first that's actually a really good one i I have to say and and it happens to me all the time you know you get nervous and you get up there and you start naming all your sponsors you know who are important but really it'd be my wife for being there day in and day out you know your friends and your family the ones you should really thank are you a bathroom singer? Oh, no. <laughs> I wish I could sing. You know, I really, I do, but, uh, but I can't. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. 
you know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Great time hanging with Mark. I love hanging with the West Side guys and gals, you know, good to uh, get some new goodies, you know, involved with Bass Edge. And new goodies is what we've got. As promised in previous episodes, we're ramping up the giveaways on our social media. Make sure you check it out on our Facebook and Twitter handle. Mark Lassane has brought us a subscription, one-year subscription to Bass Edge Radio Listener. So we're going to run that contest on that Facebook page and on our Twitter. Be sure to check it out, Bass Edge. Somebody's going to win a one-year subscription to Bass Angler Magazine. So uh, stoked about that for sure. I always like free stuff, Kurt. But just to clarify, you are not eligible. But uh, speaking of Mark, you know, his interview, the thing that stuck out to me, obviously I love the Senko, but that little tip that he provided by taking an underspin, you know, taking that apart and just taking the blade and the swivel off of an underspin using a screw lock, Putting that in that tail of that Cinco, what a treat that was. Yeah, good, good little, little, little bit of information there. Again, you know, going back to some of that innovative things that we've been talking about. You know, we've seen some of that before in the past, but you know, always playing with a little bit different type of blade, a little bit different type of presentation. What I really enjoyed about Mark's uh, discussion as well about the Senko was that you know, again, catching fish on a Senko suspended water, 30, 60 feet. We heard that earlier this year with Cody Meyer and how he caught that giant spotted bass. So, you know, this is something that's going to come to the East Coast that these guys, again, are doing out West that's really pushing the bar, being able to catch some of those suspended fish. We've seen Brent Ayler do some stuff like this. We've seen Brett Height do some stuff like this. All, you know, West Coast guys, but continuing to raise the bar, doing something a little bit different to catch some of those fish that most people are bypassing. Dude, that's good stuff. It is, and I wish we had more time. Unfortunately, we are running short short on that today, but certainly appreciate all of Bass Edge Nation joining us for episode number 250 on Bass Edge Radio presented by MegaWare Keel Guard. So long, everybody. Stay with us on our social media and please check out BassEdge.com to stay abreast of everything Bass Edge in the meantime. We'll see you next episode, March 1st. So long, everybody. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>